This is Come and See by Father Ron Baird for February 20th, 2011. The Gospel is taken from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 38 through 48. The message is by Mother Nancy Stanton. Weird Gospel. Absolutely weird Gospel. Have you ever wondered when you have read or have heard that gospel read, what on earth Jesus was thinking about with that turn-the-other-cheek stuff? Are we supposed to be doormats for the sake of our faith? Is Jesus recommending that we wear a sign on our back that says, kick me, I won't kick back? A quick, simplistic reading of Jesus' word might seem to indicate the doormat theory if we just read it quick. And yet, we we don't see Jesus as being wimpy. He wasn't retiring. He wasn't just a shadow of the Almighty. But he was God with us. The very image of the living God. Did he look wimpy when he went into the temple and he found the money changers and he got out a whip, turned over the tables? He didn't look wimpy, did he? No, it wasn't wimpy at all. We see Jesus as the defender of the poor, the defender of the downtrodden, the maligned and the mistreated. We see Jesus as the savior as our Lord, and none of these attributes equate to a doormat. So how in the world, then, are we supposed to interpret these words of Jesus? I don't like this kind. It always feels like it's hanging off of my ear somewhere. Okay, thanks, Matt. Another relevant question might be, do we take Jesus seriously? Or is there some nifty interpretation that can help us to explain away Jesus' words? Or at least provide some kind of general guidance in terms of when to turn the other cheek and when to love our enemies. The words that Jesus utters are not easy ones to follow, are they? Regardless of how conflict-averse we may be, we're created with a fight-or-flight response nestled right here in our craniums in our brains, and they're nestled in a very primitive area of our brain that's not always adequately governed by the reason part of our brain or our cerebral cortexes. Those primitive responses are pre-programmed to help ensure the survival of the individual. If we didn't have that, humankind would be extinct. 
and thereby it protects the species. We fight or we flee because our point and our purpose is to live to fight another day and to preserve our well-being. But our job as followers of Christ is to stay close in confrontation and conflict, not fighting or fleeing. In order to follow the example of our Lord and to show the power of God's love to overcome all things, bodily assault, legal persecution, even kidnapping, as is mentioned in verse 41. And while it's often easier and more pleasant to stay close to those whom we already know, our friends and our family. Jesus addresses that as well. And as different as it might be to remain in relationships with those whom we already know and love, Jesus essentially tells us that we don't get credit for working with those relationships. Now that seems a little strange, but He's very specific with that. It's the ones that we have, the relationships that we have with strangers, with those that we don't know, with those that maybe we don't like, maybe with those that don't like us, that count. Now, tell me how on earth this makes any kind of sense. Absolutely none of it makes any kind of sense without the gift of God's love. Listen again to the collect that we prayed for today. Oh, Lord, you have taught us that without love, whatever we do is worth nothing. Without love, whatever we do is worth nothing. Send your Holy Spirit and pour into our hearts our greatest gift, which is love, the true bond of peace and of all virtue, without which whoever lives is accounted dead before you. Without love, we are accounted dead before God. That's scary. But it's only by this most amazing gift that's delivered to us by the Holy Spirit that we can hope to overcome our pre-programmed response to flight or flee and to bear witness that the God we serve is love. But it not it kind of twisted to use this sort of logic? Isn't it conceivable that we put ourselves directly into harm's way and risk, into embarrassment, into impoverishment, into injury, or even death? Isn't it quite possible that we could become doormats of the world and be considered weak and ineffective? in our promulgation of the gospel. And yes, of course, all those things are possible, even quite probable. But that's exactly the risk that our God took in sending 
his only son, Jesus, for us. That's exactly what Jesus did when he allowed himself to be beaten. He allowed himself to be accused falsely. He allowed himself to be crucified. We have the gift of access to relationships with a God who desires that relationship so much that even the only child of the Almighty is not withheld. We are given the opportunity to bask in the glow of a love so powerful that death cannot contain it. It's an amazing love. People have preached about it for centuries. People have read about it. People have sung hymns about it. It's an amazing love, one that we as human beings can't even fathom. But this is not an easy reading today. It's also not an excuse to do nothing. For Jesus is speaking about our actions on behalf of ourselves and of our own self-interest. Our agency, our defense, our protection is not for ourselves, but it's for the sake of others. It's for the person sitting next to you, and it's for the person out there driving by, and it's for the person in the mall, and it's for the person in Afghanistan and Iran, and Iraq, that love that we show is for persons all over the world. If we are to follow in Jesus' path, we have to use our personal power, our influence, our reputation, our gifts, our wealth on behalf of those who have no power, Think of the woman in a small village in Iran or Iraq or Afghanistan. She's still chattel. She's worth as much as the cow, but not anymore, maybe less. Our love is for her. Our love is for her. Our love is for the broadcaster the other day who was beaten and raped. Our love is for the seven Jesuit priests that were killed because they were teaching the love of God. But not only is it for them, but our love is for those persecutors that they have. Hard to love a persecutor, isn't it? I was asked one time how I would feel if I got to heaven and the first person that greeted me was Adolf Hitler. What would you think? If he had asked for forgiveness, should God have given it to him? If it was his last dying breath, Father, forgive me, for I don't know what I did. Would God forgive him? Yes, he would. 
And in that instance, if that happened, the first person you may meet in heaven could very well be Adolf Hitler. Scary thought, huh? Be careful who you condemn because God is the judge, not us. We have no right to judge. We don't know the whole story. We only know our part of the story. God is the one who makes those decisions. Being perfect is some of what God means in treating the evil and the good. Being perfect would be to accept Adolf Hitler as one who asked for forgiveness, one who was truly sorry, and one who was given repentance. Hard to think of. Being perfect is to show love to the righteous and to the unrighteous. That's the way God treats them, providing them with the same opportunity to live as anyone else. The thing that we forget is the fact that all of us are children of God. The evil and the good, all of us. It's not just the good people that are the children of God. And God loves us all. And God wants every person to ask for that forgiveness. God wants every person to be forgiven and to be in heaven with them. That's hard for us as humans to understand. And that's the goal that we have to work for as being, as God, being perfect, as we work towards loving both the evil and the good and the righteous and the unrighteous, loving them as God loves them, providing them with the same opportunity to live as everyone else. And again, our witness is not true and authentic if we portray the world's actions that preserve only ourselves. Our witness is to be given in action that shows our desire to see that all know the benefits and the love of God. In Texas, in the um, prison system, one of the things that they're working to do is to have a reconciliation meeting between the perpetrator and the family of whoever was hurt. They're bringing together the mother, the father, the wife, the sister, the brother of someone who was murdered in the murder. And in most of those cases, when they are brought together and they're able to talk and to be together, there is forgiveness that is asked for and forgiveness that is given. I think the hardest thing in our job as being a Christian is to not only ask for forgiveness, many times we have trouble with that, 
we know that we've done something wrong. And I know that I should go to Julie and ask her for forgiveness for what I've done. And yet I'm embarrassed. And I really don't want to. So couldn't I just treat her really nice? No, my job is to go and say, Julie, I'm asking for your forgiveness because, and tell her why. And then pray that she will be gracious enough to forgive me. That's what God expects of us. The other part of that is just the opposite. And that's to ask for forgiveness for what we have done to change someone's life completely. If I took Kenny's life and then I went to Julie and said, I'm sorry, Julie. I'm sorry that I killed Kenny. How easy, Julie, would it be for you to forgive me? That's a tough place to be in, isn't it? As a mother, whoa. I I have been threatened as being a mother tiger against my children. Somebody goes towards my children and does something towards them. I am not happy. I am not a happy camper. And I have to really work at being forgiving. And if someone killed one of my children or hurt them very badly, that's a toughie. But God still expects us to love both the evil and the good. It's difficult because it forces us to move ourselves out of the center of the relationship. And our center then becomes focused on someone else. We're asked to submit. God doesn't want us to submit because he tells us to. He wants us to submit freely. He doesn't want us to be told or coerced or commanded to the love of God so that the love can show us the way. He wants us to do it freely. Freely, and then we'll be shown the way. That love is the way that we are ultimately made safe. We are only ever truly safe when we're in the love of God. Many questions, I'm sure, are forming in your minds. And many questions probably are noisily calling for attention and for answers. But the specific questions and situations have already been answered in the life and witness of Jesus Christ. We speak the truth that God loves all people, that God makes the necessity of life able and available to all. I said, well, I wasn't at the 11 o'clock last week, but in my sermon last week, I, and I have said this before, let's look at Judas. Judas turned Jesus in to be killed, told him where to find him. He was going to go give him a kiss and, and 
he was given money for this. I don't think Judas really realized how far it was going to go. That, that doesn't make any difference. He did it. He sinned against God. Was that his greatest sin? No. What was his greatest sin? His greatest sin was going and committing suicide because he didn't believe that God could forgive him. And that's saying, Jesus, you didn't do a good enough job when you climbed up on that cross. What a horrible thing to think of or to say. He gave himself for us. We celebrate that every time we take the Eucharist, as we take the body and the blood that he gave for us. And yet we're telling him he didn't do a good enough job. God makes the necessities of life available to all, both the good and the evil, the righteous and the unrighteous. That retribution is not the way to show the justice of God. That is not what he expects us to do. When we're out there and we're alone and we're exposed as Jesus was in a community governed by power, that seeks to preserve its own hold on others. We are subject to the persecution, betrayal, and death that Jesus endured. My daughter called this week and she said, I'd like to come down and go shopping. I always thought Easton was a safe place to go. And on the news, they said there was a shooting at Easton. Yeah, it was. How'd you like to be those parents? Have one child dead and the other one looking at life in prison. Be horrible. And I said, well, Kathy, do you think that there's some place in this world that you're safe? And she started laughing. She said, no, but I'd like to think so. We're not even safe in our own homes. How many times do we hear that somebody's been shot through a window. It was a drive-by shooting. It went wrong. It went through the window and somebody was killed. There's nowhere we're safe except in the arms of God and in God's love. It's the only place we're safe. And that's why we need to stay in that love all the time. We need to stay in that forgiveness all the time. When we're out there and we're exposed as Jesus was, in this community, in any community that's governed by power that seeks to preserve its own hold on others, we are subject to persecution, to betrayal, to death. But we as Christ's followers can be working to create systems and communities 
where we will not be out there alone. We have the benefit of the gospel and the knowledge of God's overwhelming grace and love that's able to sustain us and protect us and even overcome the power of death. You've heard the story of the missionary that was on a road that was very, very, very dangerous. And he was going from one city to another to preach the gospel. And when he got to the other city, he got there safely. And people were amazed that he got there safely. Several months later, he was in a church in the United States And he was talking about some of the things that happened to him as he moves from one city to another city. And he told the story of going from this one city to another and how there are thieves and robbers and murderers on that road and that he made it there safely even though he had to spend the night on the road. And one of the men in the congregation raised his hand, and he said, what was the date of that? He told him the date, and he said, what time was it? The time. He said, men, would you stand up? Twelve men stood up in the congregation. He had been awakened in the middle of the night and said that, This missionary was in trouble and that he was going to be killed, that he needed to get a group of men together to pray. And he called 11 other men and they met at the church and they prayed through the rest of the night to keep him safe. People who were going to kill him made the comment that they were going to rob him and they were going to kill him. But he was surrounded by 12 strong men and they didn't think they could get to him. The strong men were in Illinois and the man was in a part of Africa. They wouldn't doubt the power of prayer. Power of prayer is mighty. The power of the Holy Spirit is mighty. And it's through the power of love, power of the Holy Spirit, which gives us that power of love. It's through those things that we are able to be children of God and to strive towards being perfect as God wants us to be. Are we going to make it by tomorrow? Nah, doubt it. Anybody feel that they've gone a full day without committing a sin of any kind? I'm always amazed at night when I take an inventory of how I've done for the day. And I start to think, and I thought, I didn't mean that that way. Why did that come out like that? Oh, Lord, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean that, and I didn't even think of it as being a sin. But when I take inventory, I find that, whoops, I've been able to make it a sin. 
we have the benefit of the gospel and the knowledge of God's overwhelming grace and love that's able to sustain us and protect us and even overcome the power of death, just like with the missionary. We have the chance to work, to nurture children and young adults to understand that their well-being is only secure in the securing of the well-being of others. We have to work towards helping others, towards loving others, or we're not secure. We are the people to whom God is looking to make the effort to see that all are treated even as God treats us all. Remember Adolf Hitler. God has the power and the love to forgive. So are we to be doormats? Are we to meekly submit to the persecution of this world and our enemies? To borrow a phrase, and I love St. Paul, he says, by no means. What are we, what we are to be to those people who do not simply protect what they have or what is their own, but to seek to protect others? This is profound lack of self-interest. And self-protection is rooted in the desire of a community of believers to protect one another, to care for one another, to make sure that all people in all communities, both enemies and friends, have access to the means of life and know the benefit of God's awesome and amazing love. God's love is unbelievable, but it's to be believed. God's love is something that I doubt that there's any of us that have any idea even this much of how all-consuming and all-powerful it is. As parents, we think we love our children, but God loves our children so much more than we do. It's unbelievable. Our job is to find the Christ in each and every one of us. Our job is to love that Christ in each and every one of us. Whether we like the person or we don't like the person. And that's our job. But we're told, be perfect even as I am perfect. And that's our job to work towards. And so the only way that we can do that is through accepting the Holy Spirit and letting the Holy Spirit pour us full of God's love and asking for that constantly. Give me more love. Give me more love for others.
be perfect, even as I am perfect. Amen. You have been listening to Come and See by Father Ron Baird. Come and See is a production of St. Andrew's Church in Lewis Center, Ohio. St. Andrew's is also available online at www.standrewspolaris.org. Please join us again when we invite you to Come and See.